everybody. I'm Adam Hergenrother. This is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. I'm joined by my chief staff, Hallie. Hallie, how are you today? I'm great. Awesome. And you? Amazing. Thank you. It's actually like 71 degrees today. I know. 72. Yes, it will be. And there was a whole bunch of people out. Actually, my kids were even excited. They're like, I want to go outside and get on the bus. Like, just because it's so nice out to actually get outside and get out there. And last night, it was so nice. Actually, my youngest daughter is... um, learning how to ride her bike for the Aww. first time. I actually thought this was great for our no conversation training. today. No training wheels? Well, this is the thing, right? She was scaling her bike riding. So <laughs> today we're going to be talking about scaling business. So she went from going on training wheels mm-hmm. and she wanted to give up. But really the thing was for us is we're going on vacation in a month and we all got to rent bikes and she can't have training wheels on. So we had this kind of vision of the fact that we led her into of saying, hey, you're going to need, Maddie, you're going to need to learn how to ride a bike if you want to ride with us to the ice cream shop. Yes, right? Because yes. it's right down the block. Incentive. Incentive for it. And she's like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And so for the past four days, we've been working on it. And then last night, finally, we kind of got to it. And she'd been doing it probably like 50% of the time. Like, you ever heard, by the way, if you're ever training a kid to ride a bike, there's a thing called a buddy stick. Best thing ever. <laughs> It is. And it goes on the back of the bike and it comes up. And so it's got different adjustments, like a vacuum kind of goes up and down, like you can adjust the height. And so you're holding it instead of trying to hold the seat and chase Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So you hold it and you can kind of gently let it go. So they start to feeling it, but you can grab it quickly. So they don't like completely destroy themselves. Yes, (laughs) Best thing ever. And it's like on Amazon, it's like 15 bucks, literally the buddy (laughs) stick. If you're trying to train somebody, it's, or if you want to give somebody a gift, it's there. Yeah, no, I told my brother because he's doing the same thing right now. He's like, I got to get one. So anyways, we did it. And then last night, um, I like in the dark, of course, she was like, let's go out and try it. And it's like 7:45, And that's like my bedtime, by the way. <laughs> so I'm like, but she's like, I'm going to do it daddy. And so we were out there. It was awesome. So we took the, the training wheel spin off. So we let her go. And I, I watched her for the first couple of times. She's like, let go dad. And it was almost harder for me to oh, let yeah. go. Cause I'm like, oh, but I'm like, okay, I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna let go of the outcome. And of course the first couple of times she crashes she's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. Aww. So I'm okay. And then we kept going down a little bit further and Finally, I just, I said, Maddie, I said, you just got to stop steering with your hands and steal with your, steer with your butt. Because you, you know, when you first get on, you're like, you're trying to steer with your hands and it causes the whole wheel to turn all that much. And so she got it and then she was doing it and it was so cool in the moment, like five seconds after she was actually riding her bike, like not like swerving riding, like she was actually in control. Yeah. And she's like, I'm doing it, daddy. I'm doing it, daddy. And it was in my, and then she looks back at you and does she, yeah, no, she did. (laughs) That's your story. That's the way you wanted the story. That's hilarious. But she did she was, she was going and she's like, I'm doing it. But she was so excited that she kind of broke through that whole thing That's awesome. um, to doing it. But there's a lot of failures along the way. Right. Oh, and yeah. there's a lot of you having to let go and have to have the willing participant, a vision, all those things. And I think the story kind of goes, well, for today, we want to talk about, you know, what it's like to scale a business. And I don't mean to scale a business. When people think scale, I think they think like, I'm going to go from 500 to a thousand employees. I think, you know, anybody that's building a business should always operate with the intent that they're going to be scaling a business with a vision, if you will, of you not having to be in it. And the reason why that's important in the beginning is for, for a couple of reasons. One, we're going to go through the seven mistakes that Hallie and I believe that people make while scaling a business. But if you set it up, why well, I see most organizations when I come in and look at them from a consultant, I know you do too, is that the whole organization, even if they have 15, 20 employees is built around like a person, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a person, like the person, like I have a different skill set, you have a different skill set. Well, so we work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Yes. So we it serves them very well in the beginning. Yes, it does. Well, it gets them income and yeah. then they start hiring people for, you know, for them to support their weaknesses, which isn't bad. Right. But when you build a whole business around your weaknesses, it's actually very hard to scale. 
because you can't, if you removed, then the people supporting all the, all the things that are supporting the business is supporting an individual's functions instead of a business function. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important in the beginning for this. So number one, if we were kind of start off this list of the seven things people mistake in scaling a business is, um, you, for the most part, you start too early. You, you, people, uh, it kind of goes with the line we we're talking about of, of, of building your business and with the intent that you, you don't have to be in it. Now, if you choose to be in it, that's perfectly fine. But number one is really about if you're not really fully sound that we see that meaning that you're not making the profit that you need to make in your current organization, scaling a business or opening up another location to compensate for the lack of profit that's currently there is not the way to do that. So in real estate, that might mean opening another location, um, but in other businesses, it might mean like rolling out a new product or, yeah. or, or when your current product is actually not profitable. Yeah. It's like, or even in another business, like a widget business, that's like making more widgets to try to make up for the current loss. But if you actually do the math, you're, you're losing money in every widget. So the more you make of the widgets or whatever product you're making, the, the less you're, the more you're going into a hole, mm -hmm. the more of a loss you're producing because you actually haven't found the right sweet spot to actually determine if you're making a profit yet. And I think in our world today, we see so many organizations going out there and, and getting high valuations without actually turning profits. And so they get in this mindset as like, I, profit's just like an afterthought almost, right? It's like, I don't really need that. Well, you hear about the big businesses that make it, but there's a whole bunch that don't, and they don't because you're not turning a profit. So the first thing you want to do is before you ever scale a business, really kind of, um, you know, you increase your current workload. And I'm going to give some examples of this that we even saw, um, like in, in our construction firm, which we weren't getting into, we weren't opening up new locations. We were trying to scale different things and we didn't have our proper models down right in order to scale properly. And that was the, the, the bigger kind of commercial buildings. We didn't have um, our model systems and people down to really actually scale that. Um, and we see this a lot in expansion. The term expansion for people is like in real estate, people have a current location, like where they're operating from. And they may be making like 50,000 or 100,000, but they're doing a, it's just a good amount of money, but they're doing a tremendous amount of maybe volume or GCI. And they go, well, I need to go make two or 300,000. So instead of actually sitting there and fixing their current location, they go then and expand somewhere else trying to go, well, if I can just go over here and make more money, it's almost like I'm not going to have to concentrate on the current mistakes or errors or systems that I need to fix in my current location. I'm just going to go open up another one to kind of pretend that the other current problems don't exist. And what we often see is in that current team that was at least making them 50 to 100,000, all of a sudden goes down to zero because really the person that was running that was holding that all together. So then they go put their attention somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. And they go out there and put it there. That goes to zero and a loss. The current, the other one that they've tried to expand to does not work out at all. Now they find themselves in a real situation. I remember like six or seven years ago, I sat down with an individual came up to me and he goes, this is really early on in expansion. He's like, Hey, you know, I've got like seven or eight locations. We're doing all this stuff on the, on the surface. It sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. And externally on Instagram and Facebook, like you sound really cool. Right. And then, when you, when you, but they're sitting down with me, they're like, I just want to be real. Like, and I'm like, well, how much money are you making from these things? And, and it was like zero. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, well, thank you for being honest. Like they'd reached a point where they're like, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll tell you what to do. You shut down every single one of your locations and go grow your current one. And that's exactly what they did. They actually ended up turning their current location around, getting it highly profitable for what made sense to them for profit. So before people scale, whether that means scaling to another location, that means scaling your product, scaling your service, right? Make sure that you're currently generating a profit that makes sense so that if you scale it, the profit will come in that when you scale it, you're not actually losing more money. 
And that's really important for people to understand because they want to go do something different to kind of make up for their lack of current organization's profit. That never works that way. And if it happened to the one time out of a thousand that you heard somebody do that, they got real lucky, right? And that's, that's just what it is. So that's number one. What's number two, Hallie? Um, not having solid models and systems first. So what does that mean? I was going to say it means everything because yeah. it does mean everything um, yeah. for a business. If you are building a business and not just um, a solopreneur oper- type of operation. Um, but for us, models and systems include every th- it's the administrative services, the operational foundation. Um, what are your lead generation systems? What do those look like? What does your marketing look like? Um, what are your sales processes and sales funnels? Um, what else? What else because I think people hear models and systems and they go, well, we have models and systems, but elaborate more for us. Just break that. Well, give, give some examples of what models and systems could be. I know. I'm like, man, I've been out of real estate for so long. So well, just me, in anything in business. Um, yeah. I mean, it, yes, it's, it's a couple of things. It's like the actual system that you use. So what are those and make like how to answer the phone? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking more of like, what is your, uh, software? What, uh, mm-hmm. what actual systems are you using to help you run your business? Like your CRM, like what's your, your CRM or your accounting software. So they're yes. like, that's one piece of it. And then there's the layered on top of that is what you were just talking about. What are the systems on how to use those systems? What does the checklist look like? Right. From everything from how do you answer the phone? How do you interact with a client? Um, what's the next, what's your follow-up system with your clients? What is your, what are your internal processes with your employees or with your staff or with your independent contractors? How are you training people? How are you onboarding people? Um, it could be, and as you on think for a second, it could be even things like, what is your, you know, in real estate, what does your listing presentation look like? Is right. that scalable? Yes. Is that just, or is that something that just, you just create while you're there depending mm-hmm. on who you're meeting with? Is that something that's a model? It's, you know, how do you draft emails? Like what system do you use to automatically respond to people? You know, what, uh, you know, how do what, you know, if you're in a the construction industry, like even a model of like, what cars do you provide or what trucks do you provide to your employees? Right. Like, so you can get better discounts. So I'm thinking about like construction where you're providing these type of benefits to people like to have cars, right? Like that's a model. Like I, we partner with GMC or we partner with Ford or whatever those type of things are. Um, even contracts in law, like in terms of like your employment agreements, are those just made yeah. up or is that a, is that a scale? We're just getting really gritty for you to understand Everything that you need yes, to, to run a business, to run a business and how you use your money is a model yes and i was going to say having it all written down and organized somewhere so that i mean really in theory hiring process i was gonna say anyone should be able to walk in yeah and read something and be able to operate your business yes if you can if you have it down like that that your business is ready to scale yeah um very few people have everything written down though and organized and systematized so that you could bring somebody in they could read it, look at it and run your business. Yeah. And it's almost like as you get bigger, each department has models and systems, yes. right? And as each department needs model systems, but this is what it goes back to the beginning we were talking about where when most entrepreneurs try to scale a business, they don't have any of this. It's either in their head or, and then because scale means that it's no longer you necessarily doing it right? There's other people now involved running these tasks. So if it's just inside your head and it's not written down, like you're just saying for every part of the process, people miss it. I'll give you a great example. It's like, if you haven't, did you, have you read the, uh, watched the movie founder, by the way, 
You should watch it. It's yes. really good. I yes. just, I just yeah. watched that like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's good about yeah. the you know McDonald's and yeah, and, and, yeah. I thought it was yeah. fascinating. It was yeah. really cool. But the one thing they didn't really talk about in the movie, but anyways, that was all built on models and systems. Yes. Because the current owners didn't have a model for system to how to scale it. So when they tried to actually, but they had a fantastic model for the location location and then they tried to go and scale it they and they did. failed yes because it failed because they didn't have quality control they didn't right. have oversight and any of those different things so it's just such a great example but then somebody came in and what they what you know robert um what's the guy's name not robert Oh um, God! I'm God, why am I drawing a blank? blank. Name, yeah. um, Hallie, You're supposed to be the one that kind of saves me here. Because I just want to say McDonald, but that's not it. Yeah, no. Um, Croc, yeah, Ray, Ray Croc. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I didn't realize how kind of like deceivious, if you will, like, mischievous yeah, or deceiving. Either one of those two words. I just wanted to combine them to shorten this up for this podcast. Yeah, deceitful. He was deceitful, very. That's a yes, word. Yeah. he basically took over their. Yeah. Business. But that's why he started the real estate so we could have control, which yeah. is kind of fascinating. Yeah, the whole thing was fascinating. But in the whole McDonald's story, they, if you haven't watched it, it's good, but it talks about how to scale an organization because even when he opened it up, he lost quality control. So what he did is he put in agreements about how to actually operate, what you had yes. to buy, how you had to operate, hours you had to be open, right? The temperature you had to cook things at. Yes. Like, the, like every model. Each like, franchisor yes, started being too entrepreneurial. So how like everybody had to, how many employees they needed for a, per, a certain number of volume, right? Like how every single burger location was set up so they could mm. operate smoothly. So he took that whole unit and then that became his kind of franchised. That's what he was actually franchising, mm -hmm. right? was that. And then of course the, you model, can, yeah. the model that he actually had, which the model we're just unpacking like from everything there, right? How much money you needed, how much money you need in reserves, how many employees you need based on location, every those things. But one of the things that was missed in the movie that is talked about in a lot of books is the thing that they couldn't replicate the fries and what they realized is that like when they tried to franchise when they tried to scale the fries weren't tasting the same mm -hmm. and they realized it was it had nothing to do with the fryer yep. it had to do with the potatoes and yes. how they were cured right yep. so that was really fascinating because it was they had to trace it back though to find out what was the missing root and it was where they either how the potatoes were cured based on the person they were buying it from yeah. And so again, that's a model. That's a mm -hmm. system that you follow. But if you do, can't trust, if it's just built around you knowing something, then when you try to scale, that all gets broken the larger you get. So people is going to be, that's what we mean by models and systems. You that really need have to, to have be, that. Um, duplicatable. Yes. I feel like that. Like, I know we talk about scale sometimes, but really it's just about being able to duplicate success over predictable, predictably yeah. duplicate success over and over again. It's funny because when we first started expansion, right, what did we call it? Duplication. Yes, it was actually called duplication before expansion. So if yeah. you're a real estate agent and you understand the word expansion, before expansion came in line, like actually probably three years before it, we called it duplication. Mm -hmm. Nobody was talking about it because we duplicated, but we just what we did is we took our entire unit and dropped it into another location. Yes. And then we called it duplication. It was extremely successful. Yeah, I was yes. say it worked the quite first well. sixty days we were profitable. Yeah, the first several teams worked very well yes. that way. Yes, they and did. then when we really started to scale. Yes. Because those were just the wheels fall off. Yeah, the wheels fell off, and we yes. had to we had to we had to go back. Because we had models that were okay for a couple locations, correct? But we didn't have the the models in the really the 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 people right. that were necessary to scale it at a larger level. Yes, because we were all tapped out, which we'll get into more. So, what's number three? Uh, people. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it is. Perfect. So once you have, once you're building your business around um, the business itself instead of you, right? And that you're realizing that you have a solid core foundation of what you can duplicate or scale, number one. Number two is you have the right models and systems that are in place. Number three is the X factor to all that is going to be your people. And I don't mean just hiring people. What I mean is that a lot of times people cannot 
just even grow their businesses, let alone scale or duplicate their businesses because they're unwilling to make the very tough leadership decisions, which is people have been with you for 10 years, five years, three years, and they don't grow with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're a great example of this, not from this angle, but you've grown with me tremendously. If I hadn't grown, you wouldn't have stayed with me. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't grown, you would have just not stayed with me purely because it would have just been overwhelming to the sensation Mm -hmm. of what we were doing, right? Well, I was gonna say, and and sometimes it's not just that they don't grow because there, there just might be a different place for them in the organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to let people go. Right. We're not just, saying that. It may say that. Right. It may not. A lot of times, though, if you have somebody that's been with you for a while, like Gary Keller's a great example. He shares this story with his first MCA, first kind of operations financial person he ever hired. When they started to scale, they quickly realized that Sharon couldn't actually move up into the level that she wanted to, and it's actually overwhelming for her. She didn't want the position. So then they moved her over and she was in charge of something else. And that was a perfect position for her. Mm-hmm. And they brought somebody else in to actually scale the organization. Right. But those are very tough decisions because you don't know how people are going to react. Mm-hmm. They right? might leave. They might leave. And that be, could be, that could be a, a big hole in your business at that point in it. Exactly. To let somebody go like that's been so valuable, know so much. And when you, that's what the fear is around there is that like, Oh my God, if I, if I don't, if I don't promote this person to do it, are they just going to leave? Right? Well, first of all, you need to sit down and figure out whether it's not even the right position for them. Right? And if it's not the right position for them, then, um, they may be relieved that they don't have to grow. They, I, I can, I can remember one time with this individual that's actually in our world now where they had a really good person. We put them into a larger leadership role And then we actually worked back through to give them back down to their current role that they had before, but they didn't want to go to the the individual running that team and tell them that, um, that they were not, they were not successful because they felt like they were letting the the owner down. Mm. So it goes both ways. So when they actually have the conversation, they're like, thank you so much. Like I didn't want to let you down. So you have to be willing to just open to the outcome and have the conversations around people. So there's a couple things around this is one, you also have to hire people, which means you're going to have to, you may have to jump brackets in income. Meaning that if you've been paying somebody in the beginning where money is a real challenge and you're paying somebody, I'm just going to make numbers up. There's no numbers here. But if you're paying somebody $40,000 a year, right, you may have to start paying somebody 50. Then if you're at 50, at some point in your organization, you may have to pay somebody 65 or 75. If you're at 75, at some point, you may have to pay somebody 100, then 125, then 250, and then all of a sudden even more based on equity or profits. You don't have to necessarily pay them more in salary, but they're going to share in the profits of things to do in there. So don't ever be afraid to jump the brackets in income when people are in organizations growing as well. Because if you look at the largest organizations that you can think of, that you think of scaled, the people that are closest around the owners and are the closest around the leaders of the organization are not making $30,000 a year, right? They're making a lot of money or they have equity or they have stock options or something along those lines. So number one is, are you willing to make the tough decisions around people that is repositioning people on the bus? It also means that you're going to have to probably um, hire some really talented people to grow the organizations who may be better than you. And I think yeah, I guess that's, that's a better way of saying it. They're going to be better for you for the role that you've hired them for. They may not be better than you in the role that you have, but they're meaning what you're very clear on what your role is, but they're better than you for the role that you're hiring for. So if you're hiring somebody for marketing, they need to be better than you in marketing. If you're hiring somebody for accounting, they need to be better than you in accounting. If you're hiring for somebody for sales, they need to be better than you in sales, right? Then you, you may be really good at those things. And if you are, that's even better because that's going to force you to go out and hire somebody that's even that much better than you in that current position. The other thing with, um, with people too, is that, uh, you have to be also be willing to, as you hire, you have to be willing to make the tough decisions of getting out of business with people too. 
So that's going to happen in the early stages of this. When you're, I mean, when you hire people and they're not performing, especially when you have a tight cash flow, you can't just keep people that are not performing. Even though you may have, we've hired several people that are in kind of like, I call middle level management that were six figure hires that worked in big companies, right? Like really big companies. Mm -hmm. And we brought them in thinking that they were going to like help elevate this entire world. And what we found is they actually just didn't do anything. They actually hid in the layers of 30,000 employees. And while they were $120,000 or $150,000, they weren't scrappy entrepreneurial people. Mm -hmm. They're actually just in kind of almost like a they're being well, they're being paid a bunch of money to, to not do a lot. I was going to say to manage and run teams, but not grow a team, not grow a team well, they were or supposed not to, to grow it, but it was not just, to uh, build anything. Yes. It was more to, to maintain and yeah. you don't need that. And when you're yeah. trying to scale. Yeah. And funny, I was, I was uh, having a conversation with somebody not too long ago that talked about middle level managers and how they should, they didn't think a need for them. And I said, well, there is a need for communication and flow that needs to go there. But what you need to do is you need to make sure that most you know what it is, is they were, just, they were lead, middle level leaders, but they didn't do, they didn't do anything. And so I think one of the email back to this person was, I said, everyone in our organization that's a leader is also a doer to a certain extent. Yes. And so it's to deliver, deliver, deliver on the results. Something. Exactly. Yes. And so I think that's a, dis, when you're making these hires, organized people, exactly. Because the thing is, if you get a bunch of people that are leaders, especially early on in your organization, no, nothing gets done. Right. Wonderful conversations, but right. I think it's done. Yeah. Right. And so that's a real distinction when you're scaling a company around people is to not hire leaders. What you really need is people that have leadership skills and abilities and can lead, but can also just get it done. Well, I was going to say, uh, don't hire man like a manager. Yes. You can hire leaders as long as they are do leaders who do. Yes. Not just a, a manager who is just, again, organizing people, keeping their morale up, making sure they're on task. Yeah. We don't need that, at least yeah. not in our organizations yet. Yeah, we were- Or, or well, probably ever. No, exactly. I don't exact, think that's yeah. our, really our- No, even when we culture. were hiring somebody, like a CFO, COO, I was interviewing somebody for HC that to kind of help run all the organizations. I said, let me just explain something. In our world, our leaders lead, but they also do. Yes. And I said, let me explain what that means to you. And then I said, please, if, I said, how does that sound to you? And they said, well, that sounds exactly like I do now. I said, well, give me examples of that. Just so that we were on the same page and they're like, this is how I roll up my sleeves. And that's how we got mm -hmm. into a story about the whole thing. And I said, well, that's great yes. because that's exactly how we operate here. And he goes, that's because some people want to come in and just manage yes. and kind of like just manage these different things. Right. But you need leaders who also want to do that actually enjoy that though. Not just because they're doing it because you're telling them, but actually enjoy a doing part. Mm -hmm. Now there's some, there's aspects of doing they're going to give up, right? They can give up the lower levels, but there's still something they have to get in there and do. Mm -hmm. All right. What's the next one? Uh, let's go to why some people maybe don't even hire the right talent. It's because they're not, um, they're not willing to let go or a mistake that they make is they're not willing to let go of a job. Yeah. As they're scaling. Yeah. The, the entrepreneur or the owner of the company is not willing to let go of well, parts I, of the job. Well, I think that's part of it too, is that because there's the, the posture syndrome, which maybe the underlying, they're going to say, well, I don't want to let go of something for one, because I can do it better, which talked a little bit about that, that you should be hiring. If you hired somebody that was better than you, you wouldn't worry about giving it up to do exactly. it better. But the reason why a lot of people don't hire someone that's better than them is because of the fraud syndrome, right? Like people feel like a fraud. I've felt like a fraud before. I don't know if you ever have, but I like, have, yeah, yeah like it, it's a very natural thing. I remember the first time I heard somebody tell me that and I was like, man, you just, you felt like a fraud before. They're like, of course I did. Yeah. For like five you're years. You're not quite sure what you're 
you hire all these amazing people and you're like, well, what am I doing? What am I doing? Because you don't need me. (laughs) Yeah. And you feel like, well, do I even have a place? It's like a, it's like a self-worth thing, right? We did a whole episode on on fraud and imposter syndrome. So you can go back and listen to that. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's a big thing in organizations is people don't really want to, they want to hire somebody really good, but just underneath them (laughs) just so they can feel like a little bit superiority. So they don't feel like a fraud. But if you have to let go of that part and realize that people are are looking for to be part of your world because of what you can do. If I give this example to people when they're going through this. I said, well, in football, you know, if Bill Belichick's the coach, is he better than when Tom Brady was playing for him? Is he better than Tom Brady in the field? No, of no. course he's not. But he hired somebody that's much better. And they go, well, that's football. It's easy to see. I said, it's only easy to see because you can see it from a, I said, I see it the same way in business. Mm-hmm. Is that there still yeah. needs to be a coach. The general, the guy that, who's the owner is not better than anybody on that team. The only thing he's really good at is hiring the general coach. He's good at putting people together. Yep. And that's what the coach does. The coach is really, really good about putting people together. And, and putting money, money together. To money together. The, the vision, yeah. providing yeah. the funding yeah. for it, all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. But that's the same way we got to look at it is, is in any sports, it's so easy to see. That's why sports is such a great example in business because it is a business. People don't realize sport is a massive business. I mean, about the gambling that goes on the business, all that stuff, right? Even just majorly baseball cards you understand how baseball cards right now it's like a whole like it past 10 years i didn't realize this but the past like 10 years apparently baseball cards have like gone through the roof have they yeah they've been trading at just massive dollar amounts like just crazy Mm. i didn't realize there's actually some people close to me that that are doing it i'm like you i didn't realize they're like buying packs now like they're going through the roof right now for for anyways so if you're into baseball cards you might want to go pull up your old baseball card and see if you have anything that's worth (laughs) a lot of money because there's a lot of apparently a lot of paying a lot of money for these right now yeah but uh, in, in sports is a great example of that is like coaches are never really better than their players. And I think that's a great example of that. And then sometimes when you see like Michael Jordan was an amazing player, but really wasn't a good coach. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like there's, that's the difference is a lot of times when you have somebody that's really good in finance, they're not necessarily the great leader. Right. But right. they're really amazing in finance. They can lead a division in finance, but they're not a great leader necessarily for your role. Right. They may be, but they may not. Right. So mm-hmm. you just got to look at the role that you're, you're looking to hire for. What's the last next one? Um, okay, yes. So salary, another reason why, another mistake that, well, I say salary, another mistake people make is um, not reinvesting back into the business and living to increasing their lifestyle as the business increases. Yeah, I think this, this could be almost number one is in the beginning when you're making money, especially if you're starting to make money and you found a way to generate more than like your, your living needs, if you will, call that 30, 40, 50 grand a year or whatever your needs are. Like, I mean like shelter, school taxes, you know, that type of stuff. And after you, after you're paying for that, people then start as they make more money, they increase their lifestyle, which then takes their free cash flow, especially with taxes at the end of the year, they go, I made 150 grand, but they have $3 in their bank account. Right. I mean, we saw that at, we've used this example before and Forbes did an example last year, I believe, uh, or 2019, I think it was 2019 where they took the, took like a thousand couples or families, households that made half a million dollars a year in income or was it a million? I think it was more like half a million. Yeah. I think it was $500,000 in income, which is about the top 1%, I think is what it was and how much money they have left over. And it was like six or seven grand at the end of the year. It was literally, they had like $1,200, two $1,200 car payments, a boat payment, like a, and this was real data. This isn't like just examples. A very large mortgage. Very large mortgage. They could pay for it as long as the money was coming in. They didn't have any really left over. They didn't max up their 401k. I think it was like 30 or $40,000 they put away. But instead of, you know, 
you know, living off like a salary. That's why we kind of look at this is like when you're paying, when you're running your own business, you should pay yourself a 50, $60,000 salary or $75,000 salary, whatever that amount is that you need to live. Then you live off your salary, you don't live off your dividends in the beginning. So then if your organization makes $150,000, you're paying yourself 75 grand, your lifestyle is based on 75 grand. Mm -hmm. Now you take that additional $75,000 instead of paying tax on that because you're taking it out and buying something else with it, which means that you're going to have to, um, you know, pay tax on it. You're actually taking taking that 75 grand and reinvesting it back in the business. So while the business may only make 75 grand based on your salary or $0 at the end of the year, it could have, um, cause you're, you're helping, you're using the government as your partner almost by reinvesting with expenses within the people. So you keep evaluating, keep building your business instead of paying tax on that money and buying stuff luxury for yourself. And so a lot of people end up buying increasing as their income increases, they increase their lifestyle instead of increasing their business net worth or their business assets, then take money off the table, right? There's a time and a place we can start taking money off the table. But if you want to really build a business, that's, it's not now it's not zero, right? Well, it is when your salary, that the thing is, just learn to live off your salary. Then when you actually get through it, um, then you can, then you can increase your salary at any point in time. Like if you start making $400,000 a year, you can maybe list the 150 and you can live off $150,000, right? Because as most people know here, I mean, as you increase your, after about $75,000 a year, it's I mean, statistics shows that like your happiness does not increase more than like half a percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally like a half percent though. There's that desire that makes you feel like it's going to, it just doesn't, right? You can still have just as much joy. Of course, if you get to it, you can use your money and do those things you want to do. But, the but if bi- you're really serious about scaling a yes. business, you've got to be really serious about living off a salary. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing because most people don't want to, they want to have the freedom. They want to have both. They want to have both. both. But then they can't, the then thing is then they can't go invest into the person that needs to go pay them a hundred thousand dollars a year because they don't have the money to do it. Right. Or they go start opening up those other locations or starting a new product to try to get more profit when really if they had just lived off of a salary, exactly their profit, either profit would have been there or they would have had some leeway to pay for a new model or a new system or a person. Yes. And, and typically a person is really yeah. what it is yeah. because they're like, well, I can't afford to hire a person. And you sit down with somebody, and you actually go through their financials and you go, well, you made 200 grand. Like where did it all go? Cause your expenses, you brought in 300, you had a hundred thousand dollars in expenses. Your expenses haven't increased at all yet you're now working harder for your own dollars because you're trading time for money, but yet you increase your lifestyle and you don't have really the time to actually enjoy your lifestyle because you're now have pressure. Here's the thing. I don't ever want, I don't, I don't ever want to have to put pressure on my business to fund my personal life. Mm. And if, if, if luxury, if, if you have to finance luxurious items, you shouldn't own them. Like that's, I mean, simple as that. It's, if you have to go, Instead of financing an $80,000 boat, save up and buy a $20,000 boat. You're still on the water, right? It's, it's instead of like, oh, my boat payment's only $600. Well, it, there's a whole bunch more to that, right? And so if you have to finance, and the, unless you're going to buy like a second home with debt properly, that's something different. You're putting down 25% or something along those lines. I can see that using that type of debt. Or if you're sitting on the cash, I know some people, some of my friends have millions of dollars sitting in the bank, but they finance their car because it's 0% interest and they do it. But the difference is they have cash set aside in the bank that if they needed to, they could pay those assets off in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but that's an advanced style of use. So in the beginning, if there's, if there's something, if you have to, if you have luxury items and you're financing them, then you need to really take a look at that. And and actually I say, look at it, take a, take a step back and ask how much joy are these actually bring? I'll give you a great example of this. We paid cash for a boat, what, two years ago. I mean, we paid cash for it. And by the way, I could have afforded pretty much any boat that's out there. We bought, um, 
a $30,000 boat, right? Paid cash for it, had there. And we kept it for a year. And we went out the next year for the first time. And this was like the experience. And my wife and I went out and it was, there were some parts that were lovely and it was great to be on the water. It was awesome. I have three kids by the way in there and we're coming back in and it's like half an hour from our house. Our kids are screaming, like they're tired, trying to pull your boat into the dock with it's wavy and going and stuff. And I'm like, every time you come out here, it's wonderful for like an hour, but for like two or three hours, it's like this, this, it's a stress. I'm like, how much, why wouldn't we just take our money and put it into a pool? Mm. I mean, literally I was like, why don't we just sell the boat and put it into a pool which has almost zero stress and it's great exercise and we're in the water, right? Yes. And then I've got friends that we go on the boats with and that's what yeah. we ultimately did because we just said, how much joy are we really getting from having yeah, this Yeah, some boat? people are, are boat people. Yes, and they, they are. Like, and they're they, living they on their boat. They live that experience, yes, but if, exactly. you're, if you're not, that was not it causes a lot of stress. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like what really brings you that joy, Yeah. right? And that's what I mean by, and then just figure out ways to save up money to pay cash for those items. Okay. What's the next mistake? Uh, culture or really uh, not... Um, following your culture, rather. What does that mean? Well, I think the best example for us is when we were first expanding, we we knew what our culture was and we really were, oh, 10 years ago when we first started yeah. duplication and then expansion was, it was always about personal growth through business and it was always about building other leaders um, and, and growing other leaders. That was, that was it from the beginning and that's how we set up those first expansion teams, really finding a great CEO, really developing them as a leader to run a successful organization around, you know, and teaching them how to build a business. Um, and how to scale their own team. And then I don't know how many teams in it was. It was probably a couple of years in, we started getting away from that core culture um, and things started getting a little messy. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it was is we started seeing other people come in with a different model and they had bigger external numbers than us. Yes. And I think we got caught. I think we, I got caught up in wanting to chase that. Yeah. And so I said, well, we got to change our model up and we changed it for like 18 months and it just, we were bringing on the culture, changed the culture. culture. We were bringing on, you know, a bunch of people losing a bunch of people. Our tension rate was really bad. And then, so after a couple of years of that, we just said, we're going back to what we know. And people were still kind of not going back to what we were. We went back to what we were and what we were successful with, what we were profitable with, what we knew we could build. Which was, yeah, which was succeeding through one person. Yeah. And through other people, building leaders and well, really succeeding through leaders who then wanted to lead, but they wanted to come into our world for the models of leadership and business building. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and personal growth and personal growth. And when we got back to that, everything changed. Yeah. Cause the ethos was, and has always been in my life is like business is a kind of personal growth. Right. right. And so when we went back to that, it just, we started measuring our retention rate, which is right now, I think it's like average is right around 95%, yep. right. Every single month. We actually look at this weekly with our entire organization, by the way, we send this out every week to our leaders to show where our retention rate is because that's how, that's how um, we really wanted to identify that, what that retention rate was because that was important to us. And that's when we also developed, you know, 51%, uh, there will, let me back up. Everything, everybody tips the scales, generally speaking, with two things, either culture or money, right? In the beginning of my career, I was definitely more of a mercenary. That's more of the money kind of side. But there's either mercenaries or missionaries, right? And so for like, I think of like missionary more as like, I'm, I'm valuing the culture. And culture isn't like ping pong tables and beer parties. Those are perks, right? Culture is you have a shared vision and beliefs and ideas of where something's going, right? Mm-hmm. An organization's going, that's part of our culture, right? And then why you're doing what you're doing, right? And then um, and while money's obviously vitally important too. It actually employs everybody and you need it, right? So that's 49%, but 50, we wanted to make sure we partner with people that were 51% culture, which at the end of the day, what tipped the scales for them was being part of something that was bigger than themselves Mm -hmm. and not seeing us as a stepping stone as a way to get more money. 
Right. Now they can do that and they will, but the difference is that's not what they lead with. Yes. Most of our people that are with us have doubled or tripled their net income. That's wonderful, but that's, that's it's secondary. It's secondary. Mm-hmm. And, and don't, I'm not belittling that it's, it's secondary because what we want to lead with is our culture first. Yes. And, but I think people get lost and they hear like culture, like this, like it's like a wonky idea and like it's kind of floating around. No, no, no. It just means that like, what do you want to lead with? Yeah. It's like, your set of principles, yes. beliefs, how you v- operate for your organization. And do people either buy into that or they, do they not? Let me say we are a culture of productivity and execution, mm-hmm. right? And, and model following. And when growth. People, yes. And growth. People ask us all the time, like, hey, they say, well, you know, tell us about what's your DNA of the, the organization. I said, if somebody had won the partner with us, I say, well, you would do really well in here as long as you're willing to follow our models, not because there are models and you need to follow our models, but because we know they work. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you want to be very entrepreneurial, we're not the place for you. Exactly. We're not. And that's wonderful. Go do it. I'm not yeah. saying it's right or wrong. There's other companies yes, that you could be very exactly. entrepreneurial with. But for us, if you want to learn how to execute, learn how to be, you know, an amazing leader and use all of this as a way to grow personally. And so you have a ultimate more joy and freedom in your life, then follow the models that we have because it actually gets there faster. Yes. And the, the, the mistake there is um, not being true to Yes. Yourself and your culture. Yes. And what's number seven? Um, the mistake people make is giving up. Yeah. I think this is a big one. I think in every business book out there, it's written that just never give up. And it's quotes going back to Greeks, right? They just talked about just never giving up. And I think it's important because um, number one is a lot of times you're going to, when you're building a business and scaling a business, you're going to feel like you're in the woods at times. You're going to feel like it's foggy and you don't know which way is which you don't know if you're ever going to get out of it. And at times it's going to feel like this is insurmountable. Like I always call it, like I always remember when Ben Horowitz wrote the book, the hard things about hard things. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I remember from that book is he said, he said, every entrepreneur has like four or five, what he calls with moments where it's, we're fucked. It's over. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what he calls it. And I just always remember that because mm-hmm. it's true. Mm-hmm. And I think if people listening to this to probably laugh because there are moments where you go and you have days and you're like, man, it's over. I actually remember I was coaching a large organization and they were at a point one time and they said, dude, I, I don't know if we're going to make it past this month. Like they were literally like, well, we're going to have to go get jobs. And I said, well, hold on. Like in that week. And then of course, three days later, everything changed. And they're like, no, we're back in this. Like this. it's like, yeah. <laughs> so you're never as good as you are on your, your, on your, on your best day. Right. And you're never as, as bad as you are in your worst days. I always like to look at this as like in, in my head is like, you're never a victim or you're never a victor you're just are right. You're just, you're just there leading. Right. And so it kind of keeps you more grounded into a lot of those things that you're doing. How do you think that, or maybe even from your experience, what kept you, there were some like dark I nights. Say, like, yeah. I was yeah. going to say Larry years when I felt like, whoa, <laughs> because we were really building something yeah. that no one had built before. Yeah. And, and, um, when you're just making it up as you go along, yeah. sometimes you're like, what are we doing yeah. and why are we doing it? But what kept you going? I think it was probably more of like six, seven years ago. It was like those first couple of I'd years. Just even, yeah. Maybe even more. 2010, more even then, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's in, in, in every day. It's like kind of what people go. And I think if there's a part of me, if you will, that wants to answer that question because I want to still be validated and self-worth and show the world that I can do it and prove to my family and to you and to everybody else around there that there's a part of me that really wants to kind of make it, if you will. But it's more, that's more subdued. There's another part of me that. Um, and that was more in the earlier years, right? Yeah, that was more in the earlier years, but there's still a part of me, like if I, that wants to scream that, right? That kind of just right. says, it mm-hmm. still wants it, like that deep part of it. And I don't really allow that part to necessarily 
kind of operate from there because, and I will sometimes when I find myself when I'm getting caught up in something and like I'm having a bunch of stress over not achieving some goal, I'll recognize I'm actually leading or operating from that part of me, the mm-hmm. ego or the self where right. it's going like, you need this because of this. Right. And, I'm, and it's like the means to an end. Yes. And I find myself, when I find myself doing that way, I have to pause and go, okay, take a breath. Right, this is not why you're doing this. Yes. I don't want to make decisions from this. Yeah. I've been there. I mean, earlier in my career, that was really where it came from. I'll say yeah. like 99% more. Mm-hmm. I feel like we made a lot of decisions yes, from that yes, place for both of us. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, you know, I, but I do think that the, the entire time, like I, I asked, you know, I asked myself, like, I didn't like come up with these, the words of never give up, or I never, I didn't like inject something in me that gave me the stamina to never give up. I think, you know, I just have to credit life for that, if you will. Like there is something that just allows you to keep going. And I think if you can always get into that side of you that you don't really necessarily need nothing to everything, that's not maybe the right word for it when you're building it because it doesn't feel like, oh, I need a lot of things right now, right? But if you just know at the end of the day, you can work your way through anything. And I guess I just had confidence that it would always work out because life is not happening to you. It's happening Even though it for might you. Look, would look different. I felt yeah. like, yeah, you, you weren't, maybe even like now we have the language, but I've got it. I'm even just thinking back years ago when we didn't have this language. Yeah. Um, you were okay with whatever the outcome was. We wouldn't have ever said it like that. No, we wouldn't have, but it just. But you yeah. were okay. It maybe wasn't going to look like how you thought it was going to look, but we would just keep going down the path knowing that success would come if we just stayed the course. Well, if you actually look at the way I, I operated, I remember one time in 2011, I actually walked into our first sales team and I fired everybody. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, I literally, <laughs> I literally walked in there cause I was I so like two people stayed. Yeah, they did. There was yeah. like 11 or 12 people on our yeah. team, including employees. And yes. I literally walked in there cause I was so frustrated how we operating. I said, I don't, and I, it wasn't about the money. Like, I don't know how else to say that without sounding like cliche. Like it wasn't because yeah. I walked in there and just basically said, you're all fired. Like yeah. I'm not operating a business this way. Well, I, uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot more of it had to do with they weren't necessarily in culture yes, to a certain yeah. degree. They weren't showing up. They weren't yeah. working. At, we had incredibly strong work ethics and yes. were showing up and doing and yeah. making things happen. And not everybody was um, willing to play that game. Yeah. And I couldn't say it like this, but at the time I just made peace with the outcome yeah. and said, I'm just not going to live my life this way. Right. And so I walked in there and fired everybody. And then two people, we hired two people back. And yes. by the way, we did more real estate yeah, I think with the two and people. made more money yeah. with those two people yeah. and having our staff down there. And then we started rebuilding from there. Yes. And I did that actually multiple times and, yeah. and even probably four or five years ago with that team, I, I kind of hired somebody else and said, I'm done with this. I don't care whatever happened. You know, you, I don't, if I, I have to go operate like this, two, actually like two years, ago. three, three. Yes. I know. Oh, it's man, crazy. It was three years yeah. ago. Yeah. And I even did that with, with expansion. And it took a while to rebuild, it did. but it was, 18 worth, months. it was worth it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now the team has a hundred thousand dollar profit month. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so, I mean, it's like, it took, I, I share that story with people that are building it. Like it took, it took time to rebuild that and 18 months to rebuild it. But once it did, it was rebuild a foundation that doesn't require me to be involved and they're in culture with it. Exactly. And we did the same thing when we were talking about expansion. Um, when I, I literally, when we started, when we changed back our model, I said, I don't know if this model back was going to work. I know it worked before, but I'm, I just rather give up on all of this. I don't mean give up, like do something else. I'm not going to do this because this does not feel in line with who I am. Yeah. Yeah. It and, never, and yeah, I was willing was to let all of that go. Yeah. But in that moment of letting it all go was actually the strength to not give up yep. because you didn't need it. Right. You didn't, you weren't grasping on the need for like identity, but like, and the clarity that came from it, I yes. think attracted I mean, attracted the right people. Yes. Ultimately. Including employees too. Yes. Yes. Cause it, Cause it was just so after that clear. moment, we started hiring people that yes, made sense because they showed up in your life. And sometimes I think back to like, remember yeah. that when we were in like that cinder block yes. office, the folding space table and we had like an ISA division that was yeah. like, 
and we had a manager, yeah. you know, and yeah. that was just really not. Yeah. Yeah. I know. God, I know. sometimes I think back to some of these places. Well, I, and I think that's just, that's just, the, that's it. So what drives me is knowing that business is nothing but this conduit for personal growth. And you and I just chose whatever reason we were put in here and we're in alignment with business and we're using this as a way as just to grow mm-hmm. and, and also to contribute and to serve. And I think it's like, and, and to create and to create. I think I, that's I a, like that word. Well, that's yeah. a big one because enthusiasm yeah. is creation. When you have, when, if you woke up and you're enthused, right, you want to create, mm-hmm. you don't just want to sit around active. As people ask me at times, if I get to this higher states of being or consciousness, I'm just going to sit around. I go, no, I said, talk, think about the, the, the time that you had the most amount of energy and you just felt amazing. Mm-hmm. And you had all this enthusiasm. Did you just sit around? No. No. Like I was writing, I was doing this, I was out playing. Like, no, think about when you're a kid, abundance of energy, you're just playing with everything. Mm -hmm. That's why I just look at business is I'm just playing with it. I don't take it lightly, but you're still playing with it. I don't take it seriously either though, to the point where I don't need any of this because I know that it's none of that is me. But yeah, I understand the impacts that it has in the human world and what mm-hmm. we have to do to operate from there. And we don't take that lightly. Like we honor the form world. But at the end of the day, it's all going to be taken from us. Right. Every single one of us. So if you just wake up and realize that like, yeah, that's great that we're building all this stuff. It's wonderful. But at the end of the day, it's going to be gone. And in a hundred years, nobody even talking about this. So it's like, and for as long as humans have been here, yes, there's some history books about some things, but that's all been long gone for the most part. Yeah. So that's all going to be taken from you. That's why death is our greatest teacher. Cause it's a paradoxical, right? It just makes it seem, you just had that quote the other day. I actually read it when you talked about it. Michael Singer's quote. Oh God. I don't remember what it was. Oh, we used it in our Tuesday email. Well, it's just that, that death is our greatest, death is greatest, yeah, teacher. Greatest, yeah. greatest teacher because it actually takes everything away. Yeah. And anything. So if you approach life that way, that everything's going to be taken. So whatever you accomplish in here, it's not like, yes, you acquire it and it's wonderful. And then this is gone. <laughs> seriously yes you can pass it to another generation then it's gone and then there's something else like so at the end of the day why don't you just use life as this wonderful opportunity to contribute to serve enthusiasm and just have fun with it doesn't mean there won't be massive challenges but you just see them with a lightness to it and that's what really never giving up means Uh, they start scaling too early when their current location or current product is not profitable Um, they do not have solid models and systems and solid foundation they do not hire the right talent or are not willing to make tough decisions around talent. And they, they, they don't necessarily ha- jump yeah. or willing to ha- jump the brackets. Yeah. There should hire. be pain almost every time you hire somebody bigger than you. Yes. There's not pain. You're not paying them enough or hiring big enough. They are not willing to let go of parts of the job because they um, let the ego in fraud a little syndrome. too much. Yep. Yep. Imposter syndrome or, or feeling like a fraud. Um, they live beyond their mean. Yes. Well, not beyond their means at the edge of their lifestyle. Uh, or the edge of their means and are not willing to live off of a salary and then reinvest in the business. Um, They do not stay true to their culture and they give up. Yeah. I will say, I will make one comment about the um, the money one, not living off your salary. I don't feel to be truthful. I don't feel like I was the best example of that. But I'll tell you one thing that I did do that was different. I actually walked. That's why we want to teach people to learn from your mistakes. Exactly. (laughs) I actually walked a very fine line. Yeah, I can, I can and, see that. And I'll yeah. be honest, I mean, that's the reality is I had, I was investing in the businesses. I was hiring people I didn't have money to pay for. I was buying things. So I didn't really necessarily have to do it. And it could have gone the other way. I right. walked on a tightrope. Yeah. And so I'm just telling people it's not worth walking on that tightrope. 
yes, I made it, but there's plenty of people that didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I just, people need to be very careful of that. Like I, I just didn't want to be put in a box that included with money. And I know you feel that way, but man, it was close. And what were the opportunity costs for not? Exactly. That's what I always said. I could have done something bigger, faster. Could we have been three years ahead of where we are now? That's exactly right. But I needed to learn that. And somehow there was grace or whatever you want to call it. that was on my side because there were some (laughs) moments where I walked a fine line where it was like, wow, I had to borrow money. I borrowed money to start my first business and borrow money to kind of get through things. I paid it all back quickly, but there were some times now that I walked a very fine line, especially around 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really when it was, it was fine. Well, things started Um, really growing. You're starting to get in, started to diversify and never giving up. Yeah. So those are the mistakes to avoid when you're getting ready to scale or while you are scaling. Yeah. Hey, thanks for hanging with Hallie and I today. Um, We are super excited to launch a four-part series about consciousness at work. So every Tuesday, it's going to drop in your inbox, not your mailbox, your inbox. And the four-part series is really going to address, uh, you know, how do you bring consciousness to work? I know it's the title of it, but like people want to know, Hallie, you know, how do you bring consciousness you know, when you're firing somebody, right? Or you're getting bad news delivered to you, right? So we're gonna really address these. In part one, we're gonna talk about how and why it's important to have consciousness at work, period. What does that even really mean? Part two is imposter syndrome, the fraud that can show up there, like thinking when you start to become a bigger leader, like what does that look like? And I don't feel like I have a job, and then like, what is my worth, right? And then the ego and really letting go of that. Part three is conscious communication and decision-making. I mean, you're making decisions every single day, emails and communication. What does that look like? And then part four, we're going to wrap up with conscious leadership. And so if you're interested, Hallie, where do people go to sign up for this course? Yeah. So for more information, you can go to adamhergenrother.com slash consciousness at work, or make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, Business Meets Spirituality, wherever you like to listen to your podcast so that every week you will be notified when the new episode drops.